If Django Unchained was Drive, this is only God Forgives. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 393 with our review of The Hateful Eight. I'm Christopher Schnazy. Howdy. I'm Carson Patrick. And I'm Stephen the Hangman Miller. <laughs> and if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler the Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you this week. We already brought you a review of uh, The Big Short, and now we're getting even bigger with a review of The Hateful Eight. Um, are you guys excited to get into this review? Yeah, I apologize for that opening. It was super gay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I apologize I always, for I nothing. I always say that because uh, this is a hot-button movie. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> just getting everybody riled up. <laughs> I like how, like, no matter how much you talk about people being riled, you just... You have the plainest, not excited voice that you can. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't get riled up over things, so, you know, I'm not going into Starbucks going, my name is Merry Christmas, or some <laughs> dumbass shit, you know? Only Bill Murray does that. <laughs> right. This is the war on Christmas. It's like, all right, shut up, Kirk Cameron. <laughs> hey, you're I thought you already saved it. You're the one that was touting his movie about Christmas. Why, why well, are you, it was, why are you it was hilarious. on his side? It was, I am on it. It was great, <laughs> though I do think God's Not Dead 2 might trump it. <laughs> we'll have to see when it comes out. I don't know. Oh, either that or Miracles from Heaven. That looks hilarious. Did you watch the movie with uh, David Oyelowo? That was like the white woman teaching oh, the evil black man to become like, yeah. yeah um we went to the uh my girlfriend and i went to the paramount employee screening of captive okay and we were the <laughs> only ones there <laughs> so yes i saw a captive and we were the only ones there so, because no one cared about so it you would say you they had a captive, captive. audience ah. uh, <laughs> took it from chris yeah yeah uh damn it yeah we did we did see that and it was it was horrendously awful <laughs> but, but like just like bafflingly awful like i don't understand why like anyone involved wanted to tell this guy's story like it was just just bad really bad i, I think you just didn't get it carson <laughs> I, I guess not i'm stupid <laughs> i need i need selena i needed selena gomez to explain it to me <laughs> and then i would have gotten it so this guy rick warren wrote a book and he wants to make a lot of money <laughs> telling people how to be prosperous. Right, yeah. yeah. They had like to the, fund that movie, right? Like, they must have paid for that movie. Uh, I know that the, the, the real-life woman was, like, a producer on it. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure the author was involved, too. They, they, they the took book. a collection. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In the middle of the showing at Paramount. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but anyways, yeah. we're not here to talk about Captive. Oh, we're no. here to talk about a different film. About race relations. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hateful Eight, guys. Westerns. <coughs> Excuse me. And burping. Yeah. And, uh... Well, I mean, this movie's crude, so... Well-timed. Well, I mean, a lot of people would say that all of Quentin Tarantino's uh, films are a little bit crude, at least. They're, that's true, yeah. <laughs> but uh, this one may be the crudest. Mm-hmm. I don't know, rootin' tootin' Wait, wait, I saw the Adam Sandler one. Did I watch the wrong movie? 
Wait, what Adam Sandler movie? <laughs> the Ridiculous Six. <laughs> right. Oh. What is that movie? Is it like supposed to be a spoof of this movie? <laughs> I, th- I don't know. No, it's supposed to be like a... Well, I mean, it's obviously a takeoff Magnificent Seven, but it has nothing to do with <laughs> this movie. Obviously. Well, I mean, The Hateful Eight is a, is a take on that, too. I thought it was just about eight people that hated each other. <clears throat> well, that too. Eight people that needed a hug real bad. Right, yeah. In the literal sense, yes. Yes. <clears throat> well, before we uh, nail this landing or takeoff anymore than we you already You gotta are. use two boards to nail it shut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kick it. Kick it. All right, we are going, I guess, to uh, take a listen to the trailer for The Hateful Eight and then come back and uh, tell you guys all about uh, the story. room for one more. They call him the hangman. When the handbill says dead or alive, the rest of us just shoot you in the back and up on top of perch somewhere and bring you in dead over a saddle. But when John Roof the hangman catches you, you hang. Here's Daisy Domergue. She's wanted dead or alive for murder. When that sun comes out, I'm taking this woman to hang. Is there anybody here committed to stopping me from doing that? Well, well, well. Looks like Minnie's haberdashery is about to get cozy for the next few days. Yes, it does. One of them fellas is not what he says he is. Move a little strange, you're gonna get a bullet. Not a warning, not a question. A bullet. Now we're talking. All right, so that was the trailer for The Hateful Eight. Basically, it's about this guy whose nickname is The Hangman, and he's taking a woman to be hung uh, or hanged. I don't know what the proper word is. I think it's hanged. He's hanged. He's taking her to be hanged. And... uh, he, you know, it's a blizzard, so he's got to stop off at this little <laughs> haberdashery. And uh, while he's there, there's some other people. So he, like, calls out, yo, I'm taking her to be hanged. Is there anybody here dedicated to stopping me? <laughs> this is the best plot description ever. <laughs> Are you going to act out all the characters? Appar- I can't wait for the N-word to come out. <laughs> Apparently, there's only one character in the movie. <laughs> no, there's eight, damn it. 
It's called the Hateful Eight. Uh, no, basically, it's uh, a, a, a bunch of shady type people are in one location stuck in the middle of a blizzard, and uh, a lot of the people there are worth money. There is a price on their head. So uh, what type of crazy shenanigans is going to happen inside this little inn uh, while everybody is uh, waiting out the blizzard? So I assume that we all saw this in 70 millimeter. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. I knew the answer from Steven because we saw it together. <laughs> but I assumed that Carson would see it in 70 millimeter, but I, mean, I didn't know if he saw it in 35 millimeter. I knew some part of his projection would have an MM in it. Yes, yes, that's true. But did you see it in both? Just just for funsies? Uh, no, but I want to go see it again. And they're playing it um, at the New Beverly in 35 millimeter. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I, fi- I figured. So I will. I, I will go see it there, most likely. Gotcha. I, I figured the only chance that you might have not seen a seventy millimeter was just to go see it there for some like, yeah, specialty type screening or something like that. But no, I wanted to see it in seventy millimeter for sure. Um, mostly because you wanted a pee break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's... my favorite thing about seventy millimeter was how the top left was cut off because oh. our projectionist didn't know how the f- to use oh, a seventy no. millimeter. That sucks. Yeah, yeah. it was pretty bad. And they didn't raise, like, the little things that block out the extra screen that's not being used, which only bothered me, apparently. Steven did not uh, back me up on that. Oh, yeah, they didn't do that on my theater. They didn't move the top one all the way down, but... That doesn't bother me anymore. It, it mostly bothered I'm, me. I'm always just happy that, the you know, it's projected correctly, so. Yeah, it, it bothered me mostly because the line was fuzzy, and mm. since a lot of the opening establishing shots are, it's just white snow, so you don't yeah. really know what it's establishing. So it, yeah. it feels like somebody left a piece of paper in front of the, in front of the projector, <laughs> and I couldn't shake the idea that I was missing something, even though I knew that was correct. It's still something in my head was like, shouldn't that be like a cleaner definition in that separation between not being used screen and then screen i don't know but yeah anyways there's a lot of fuzzy lines in this movie (laughs) so carson why don't you uh bring us to the edge of one of those fuzzy lines and tell us what you thought of this film uh well i don't think it's any surprise that i really like this movie um i think uh i think that if you now and later on if you were to try, if someone came up to you and said, I don't know who Quentin Tarantino is, what, you know, what is he like? I feel like you would, The Hateful Eight is the movie you would point to because it is the most Tarantino-y movie in Tarantino's filmography. I think this is like everything that he's been building to. Like this is, this is what was in his head is on the screen, like a hundred percent like most of his movies are obviously very uniquely him but i think this movie is the most him because it has all of the qualities that you would find in his movies um and some may argue for better or for worse but uh i don't think tarantino gives a fuck. like i think he just gives no fucks <laughs> and it's just like i want to shoot this movie in 70 millimeter and i will make it three hours long um and have characters pontificate until you know the break of dawn i don't care um that's just i i just think that that is this is pure tarantino it's a movie movie like it's it's just a movie that i feel like for people who love movies and i think that very much akin to crimson peak 
um, that was that was like you know they took took it right out of Guillermo del Toro's head and put it right on screen. That was like the most Guillermo del Toro movie, and uh, I, I feel like in that way this is the most Tarantino-y movie, and uh, it, it it's it's just nonstop entertainment and greatness. Like there there isn't there isn't a single part of this movie that isn't boring like there's something is always happening and it's either amazing to look at or amazing to watch um the cast is so good in this movie um and all of the actors are acting on a level that's so energetic it could fuel like 40 other movies i think kurt, i think kurt russell alone uh probably fueled uh more energy into this movie than than a lot of movies that were released uh, last year so uh it's just a really really awesome movie and i think the 70 millimeter is really really great like the there have been a lot of people like weirdly bitching online about like oh he used 70 millimeter and it's like all interiors it's like whatever dude like he he used this format to show you that, you know, not, like, every movie has to be this giant movie. Like, even the smallest of movies or smallest of stories can be big. And I think that by using the 70 millimeter in these very, like, claustrophobic interiors uh, just makes for a really cool experience. Um, and he's showing you that, you know, this is why you should go to the movies. Like, no matter how big or small it is, like you can get something out of it and it really looks amazing like there's just a i mean the the way this movie looks is just completely awesome it it, it totally looks like an old timey uh western like the the aesthetic that he's going for and everything is just completely spot on and uh it, it's it's really great um there's probably more that i could talk about but you know i'll hand it off because i'm I don't know how many times I can say it's great other than <laughs> it's great. So All right. you should see it. Well, Steven, do you share uh, Carson's affection for this film? So I am quite torn as I think Mr. Schnazy knew when I left the theater. Um, Cause one thing I definitely agree with Carson on is this is, it's the one note I wrote here is it is the Tarantino is Tarantino movie. Like, by a mile this is very clearly every quirk everything about quentin tarantino that makes his movies unique this is pushing that to the breaking point um and that has a weird effect where like the more i think about it in hindsight the more positive i feel about the movie <laughs> and i think maybe this is true of all of his movies because even things like death proof and grindhouse like while I was watching it, I was kind of perplexed. But then there are images from that that, like, just get seared <laughs> into my skull. So, like, okay, Tarantino's clearly a master at something, like, genre <laughs> filmmaking. And he knows it. And he wants to push every ounce of patience you can have, like... This is a guy who clearly wants to prove that he can make you wait as long as possible, listen to as much rambling and pontificating and racism and just like repeatedly drawn out things like 
people shouting nail the door shut 30 times <laughs> um he knows he can do that as much as he wants and you will stick with him because he knows you want that blanket that he's offering you <laughs> and he can get you to do anything to take the blanket um <laughs> So, like, do I think this one had the blanket to, to offer at the end? Like, the thing that you're waiting for for so long. And, like, kind of, maybe. it. Definitely the third act of this movie goes into the kind of giddy, ridiculous frenzy that you know you're waiting for for the rest of the film. And which isn't to say the rest of the film is nothing. Like, of course, he's great at framing a shot he writes great dialogue but most of the movie even compared to like reservoir dogs or something is a very slow burning very talky not action-packed movie um what i don't know is was it a payoff or not because like i definitely wasn't rooting for anyone the way that django or inglorious bastards or like kill bill gives me and I didn't feel like I was knowing the vibe of a group the way that like Reservoir Dogs gives me. So it's like watching watching a play without a protagonist just explode. <laughs> um, so I don't know, like images from the movie kind of stick with me. And I'm I'm pretty surprised how much I've been thinking about it even two days later. But it's definitely one of those things where he pushed my buttons <laughs> very hard in this movie like, like at the intermission when i walked out i think i and most other people were thinking how the hell what the hell is he gonna do with the other hour of this movie <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like what is going on and, and of course he wanted that like he knows every reaction i'm gonna have um so i think the problem is like Tarantino could film like the birth of a nation and I would still find a way to like it if I sat with it long enough, <laughs> but I don't know. It'd still be hilarious. <laughs> exactly. But I don't know, like that's a testament to him being a great director. I don't know if this is a great movie or not. I just know he is like, he's a director with enough style to make me interested in everything he does. But this one, like, it tried my patience a lot more than usual. And it also, as far as like, you know, he has this kind of giddy button pushing aesthetic where he wants to crank up the violence. He wants to use the N-word as much as he can. And it's like daring you to be mad at him about it. And this one, it it felt like a little more juvenile than some of the other times he's done it. This time, I don't know if there was a reason beyond proving that he could. So I wasn't quite in his corner the way that I am occasionally. But I don't know. It's the Tarantino is Tarantino. If you're a diehard fanboy, I think you're going to love this movie. I would probably not watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Carson started off his opinion of the film with, uh, it's no surprise, but... So I'm going to start it off with the same way and go, it's no surprise, but I did not like this movie at all. <laughs> Um, oh dear <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you know like it, it, that that makes me sad because I, I, I do really enjoy Quentin Tarantino films and uh, I was expecting to really enjoy this film and you know like 
uh, you were both saying this is like the most Tarantino-y thing. But like, Carson, you were making the point that like, if somebody came up to you and was like, who is Quentin Tarantino? Like, what does he think? What does he do? Whatever. And you could show them this film and they would know. I would never show this film to somebody as their first Quentin Tarantino film because it would make them never watch any of the other Quentin Tarantino films. <laughs> this would be like, why might someone not like Quentin Tarantino? <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like this is the least accessible from the standpoint of it. It's not just the most Tarantino-y film. It's the only Tarantino-y film. Like in that, like this is you put Tarantino into a pot and you boiled away everything that wasn't Tarantino. And what you were left with is this movie. And I think that that what like there are there are some periods, there are some stretches of time where like something is happening in the story that really um, that that really like got me like, OK, like now it's time to metaphorically lean forward in my chair and pay att- more attention. But I think a lot of the a lot of the time it's a lot of. It's meandering isn't probably the correct word, but I just feel like it's a lot of like, there's no reason this film needs to be three hours long. Um, and I'm, I, I don't care about the runtime of films usually, but I just feel like when I think this film is th- three hours long and then I think to everything that happens in the story, it's not three hours worth of content. It's a film that is stretched out because Quentin Tarantino is like, fuck it, dude. I'm going to make a movie as long as I want to. I'm going to have these long shots that are literally just like, I'm going to do this world's slowest fucking pan for the first 10 minutes of this movie just to bring us into the stagecoach. Like it, it's, it's stuff that like, it, it's all fine and dandy. Like that didn't really bother me, but it's just, it, there's one standpoint of just like thinking that like, this scene was way longer than it needed to be because nothing actually happened in the story. Um, the I, I feel on some level too that the trailer for this film sold me a certain bill of goods that the film did not deliver on, uh, which I can't really say without being spoilery about the plot. But I guess I kind of um, trying to see if there's any way I can dance around it. Um, I don't know. I, I I guess I guess what I wanted from the story was a group of people who were all like the same occupation, all in a location for the same reason, and it was sort of like everything that was going to transpire there rested solely on the fact that all of them were the same type of person, and that's not what this film is about. It's it's a very very different story than that. Um, and like that, that's fine and stuff, but it's kind of like what excited me about this story was how he was going to deal with that. I feel like there's less pissing contest a bowl moments in this film. And I think Quentin Tarantino is really good at writing dialogue between characters where one of them has the upper hand for whatever reason. And I feel like this film is less about that. Like there aren't a lot of moments where, uh, where his dialogue gets a real chance to shine. Like he's, he's really good too about taking, um, he will take an indefensible position and play devil's advocate with it and stick it in maybe a despicable character's mouth, but he's trying to make a statement, um, about a certain scenario that like, you'd be like, Oh, I would never support that statement. But then like you listen to him saying it and you're like, you're like, as much as I don't support that statement, I see the argument you're trying to make. Um, he does kind of things like that in some of his other films to like a, 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 an awesome sense. And in this, it's, it's like a lot of characters just being despicable to each other, but for nothing more than he wants to write a lot of uh, piercing 
uh, lines that characters can say at each other and be like whatever like you know a lot of n-words and a lot of you know whatever like not not to not to make any grand statements about anything but just to like have characters insulting each other in a way that i found not that excitingly fun like there's not a lot of moments where i'm like oh wow that was an awesome written conversation um and that sort of just kind of bugged me uh when we were sitting down at the end of the intermission i i leaned to steven and i was like what i'm hoping for is that this film is like a kill bill one was the first before the intermission and then kill bill two where it gets really really good and all the story comes in uh happens in the second part and that was like it was sort of my hopeful prediction and i think that the second half is sort of more Kill Bill 1, where it's a lot of just craziness and blood and stuff like that. And I don't know, I, I just feel like the what I got from the story was not that exciting. And as fun as I, or as much as I enjoy things just being ridiculous and like to the nth degree Tarantino, I didn't feel like there was a good story that he wanted to tell here. He just had fun things he wanted to do with these characters and to me uh, that doesn't equal good movie to me tell me i'm wrong carson (laughs) well obviously but um (laughs) i I think i was trying to trying to go back on on some other things that that steven had said one was that um death proof was the movie that i thought of while watching this because that was the other before this, that was probably the most Tarantino-y movie, uh, just because it, it has the same structure too, where it's it's all build up, and the end is sort of where you get the explosive, violent payoff. Um, and that was another movie that a lot of people didn't like either. Um, and and no, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say that you should see this movie first if you've never seen any other Tarantino movie. But I think if you were to examine his movies, this is the movie that has the most of him in it um, that you could pick out of it. And I, I think that, uh, you know, he's he's the master of making uh, high art exploitation films and making you laugh at something that isn't necessarily funny. Um, like, for one creating slapstick out of beating the shit out of Jennifer Jason Lee's character. <laughs> uh, well, that's just make, good fun. Make, <laughs> making it come off as, you know, like a Three Stooges gag. Um, <laughs> stuff like that is just so, like he... The things Carson likes, poor people getting f***ed over and beating women. <laughs> well, I mean, I, there's just a, there's a certain, like, cynical glee that he has where he's just like, I know... I can make you laugh at this, at this or this moment. Um, and he takes it. I mean, I really don't know how he does it. Uh, I mean, he just takes it to the extreme and it's funny that it's funny. There was a, uh, on, uh, Vince Mancini on film drunk said that in his review, he said that Quentin Tarantino is like the professor, but he's also like, he can play the professor, but he's also equally, as good as playing the kid in the back making fart noises, um, which I think is totally true. And I think that, you know, he he likes doing that. Um, and he's talked about that before in interviews where, like, he... I mean, he likes f***ing with people. Like, the, you know, the first... 
half of this movie, I think, is all build up, and you're kind of like, well, okay, well, maybe it'll go, and then it's just like, no, f*** you, it's just gonna turn into, like, this Argento Fulci gore fest, and it basically becomes a horror movie. I mean, I feel like, you know, he classifies this as a Western, and I feel like it's more of a horror movie. Like, that, there's just, there's just so many shades of it. Like, there's, you can hear it in the score, and uh, which, by the way, Ennio Morricone did like a, a awesome score for this movie. And then he took other Morricone tracks from The Thing and Exorcist Two and put them in here in different places. And obviously, I, I mean that I feel like that just goes more into the horror vibe. And I mean, it kind of plays like The Thing, where like everybody's trapped in one location in a snowy blizzard and people have to kill each other um and it almost plays like this really depraved version of clue which i think is fun i, I definitely mean, got the clue vibe from yeah, this movie like i i like i would have watched another two hours of this movie <laughs> like i like i i thought that it didn't i mean obviously i know why he had an intermission because it was part of the whole road show i had to pee really bad yeah it was part of the whole road show thing but um, I would have just I would have I would have loved to not have the intermission and just let it run right through. I totally would have been fine with that. And 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 also let, let let me try to state this, just to sort of make sure I paint my watching experience as well as I can. When I say I did not like this at all, I mean like I did not like the film itself. That's not to say I had no fun in the film. Like it's a watchable film for sure it was just a film that like i can't say i liked if that makes sense like like so it's so it's fire but not really it's yeah <laughs> sure <laughs> oh like there are there are several moments i don't think steven's listened to the star wars episode yet oh i did <laughs> oh he I did watch okay. star wars yet but i did oh listen. okay <laughs> But yeah, I I, I just there, there was me, there was many times where like if if Steven and I were the only people in the theater, which we obviously were not because it was a pretty packed house, I would like <laughs> I would have been leaning over to him and being like, really, like what the f- is happening right now? Like there's there's a, there's a there's a scene towards the end where like you know there's something happening which require not requires but like it it makes sense why things sort of go into slow motion for a second. Well, we come out of slow motion and one character speaking normal, but for some reason another character keeps speaking in slow motion. <laughs> like, there's things like that where you're like, why is I don't I don't I don't get what why that was a choice. Like, why are you doing that? And it makes no sense at all. And I don't know if it's an attempt to be funny or if it's just like, eh, whatever. I just I really liked him going while somebody else is having an intercut dialogue line that's like exactly normal. Like one X speed. I thought it was funny. I'm sure there's. If you were to ask Tarantino what that, sh- I'm sure there's a. That's an homage to some shot in some movie that only he's seen. <laughs> no, probably. <laughs> but that's that's what I'm saying. So like, so like, I think that I still think that his best film is Inglorious Bastards. I think that film is a freaking masterpiece, and like, I will never not love it because it's. It's an incredible story, and it's it's an it it has all the good little bits of Tarantino that you would get in a a more classically fun film. But like, it also has a legitimately good story and a lot of different uh, characters with arcs that all matter to that person's life in real life. Right? There's a lot of complexity to the characters, and it's just 
it's it's a film that like anytime I watch, I'm just like, God damn, this is a freaking amazing movie. This feels like there is no real like there's there's literally a chapter where they're like, all right, well, we'll just give you all the story since this film has had no story up to this point in time. And then then you have that and then you're like, OK, cool. I guess that was this whole thing. That's fine. I just, I just feel that it, it's a film that like 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 Stephen said, but I'm probably saying it in a more derogatory mean like I'll probably never revisit this. Like, there's no reason to because it's not a film that will stick with me other than a few jokes that, like, we were joking off air um, just because why not? <laughs> I think this is, like, a quintessential spoiler warning argument type movie <laughs> in that, like, <laughs> clearly a story person is not going to love this movie. Like, no, <laughs> th- there's just no way in hell a story person would like this movie. And well, clearly... Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say I had no doubt in my mind that Carson would love this movie. I think I said that when we got up after, like, even at intermission. Like, I think I told Chris, like, Carson's going to love this. Um, I think the reason that I'm in the middle is I'm, like, I tend to care a little bit about plot, but there are also movies like Queen of Earth that, like, they pushed enough of something else like feeling or point of view on me that I don't really care if the plot goes anywhere and what's weird about this movie is it's like not feeling it's all spectacle kind of it's all like a wink at something and those movies are growing on me but I still don't know where to put them because they they are like low art in a high sort of way and I don't know anyway I just thought it was funny. This is like exactly how all of us would react to this movie. <laughs> well, I mean, this is like, you know, you, it's funny because Inglorious Bastards is probably, if I were to ask my parents what their favorite Quentin Tarantino movie is, it's probably that. Oh, my dad like, too. Yeah. I feel like that's the most, one of his most accessible movies. I, I would never tell my parents to watch The Hateful Eight <laughs> because I know they would not like it. They barely like Django Unchained. Um, and yeah, this is just, this is like, if Django Unchained was Drive, this is only God Forgives. Um, <laughs> I would say that's, I would say that's a pretty good explanation because I really enjoyed Django Unchained, did not enjoy right. this film at all, and yeah. famously really liked Drive and, uh, just hated Only God Forgives. And I think Only God Forgives is more the most, not the most, but it's more Nicholas Winding Refn than Drive is. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just, I feel, I feel like that, uh, the other thing, the other thing about this, about Hateful Eight is that it's very character driven and all the characters are terrible. So that's another spoiler warning staple where I get to defend all the hateful characters, but, but, it, but, it, but it's not character driven. It's character driven like they're all just sort of like weird heightened versions of a like their characters don't have substance they're all just some archetype of a thing and they're there like the only reason they feel like they have a backstory is because there's 25 scenes where they go like what is that you are you that guy from the thing that i knew of a long time ago like th- well i mean they, they they're they're real characters in quentin world as he would say <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I can't and, argue with that. <laughs> um, but I, and what's funny is, you know, we're talking about we we're talking about the characters in the Big Short and how they're kind of portrayed as the heroes. 
but really they're kind of not because they were, you know, betting against everything. And in here, and you know, my complaint about that was that it wasn't mean enough. And this movie has all the meanness. Like it's, it's, uh, you know, it's all about unsavory people and it's definitely Tarantino's, uh, meanest movie. And I know that was a lot of, that was a, one of the big reasons why a lot of people weren't down with it because they thought, you know, usually Tarantino is pretty light, even though he's dealing with kind of serious subject matter. Um, but in this one, he, he seemed to be, you know, a lot more mean spirited, which I agree, but I still think that this movie is pretty, pretty light and fun. Like most of his movies are. I mean, it's, 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 it's a comic book. I mean, there's just so much over the top, you know, stuff to it that that's just how all of his movies are. Um, and I think the, the sort of added layer of mean spiritedness, maybe it comes from the fact that it's, it's more, it's, it's the most like his movies, like we've said, because I, I read this interview with Tarantino where I somebody asked him like if he would ever make a, like a serial killer movie. And Tarantino said no, because it would reveal my sickness too much. <laughs> uh, and I feel like this is this is as close as we'll get to that movie. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's all I got. <laughs> I can, I, so I do wonder like and I know this is Tarantino, so I shouldn't be wondering if he's going for anything deeper. <laughs> Um, but there is a lot, like, I feel like the, the racism conversations here and the way that plays out and things like the Lincoln letter that seem very symbolic of stuff in the movie, like, I can't tell if he's going for anything with that or if he's just trying to plant little symbols in your head to (laughs) make you be okay with the fact that 80% of the characters shout the N-word in this movie. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I don't know. Like, he's talked about that before where, you know, I, I don't know. I can't speak for him, but, you know, he just, his defense is that he is the writer and the writer should be able to get inside the minds of these characters. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's, that's sort of his thing. But I, I, I I feel like the ending of this movie, though, does have a very, like, uh, uh, it's kind of like the ending of, of, like, Brad Pitt's final speech in Killing Them Softly, where it's, like, sort of kind of like a last minute, like, <laughs> you. Another movie I didn't Yeah, another enjoy. movie that, of course, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I, I got, I got shades of that, which it's, it's funny because I feel like this ending was a lot stronger than the ending that he originally had like when it you know uh when he did like the live read um because the the ending was a lot different well not completely different but it Hmm. ended more kind of like reservoir dogs where they're all in a mexican standoff and they just all killed each other um Mm -hmm. well spoilers (laughs) spoilers for from 1992 um yeah Uh, and uh it i I only like that ending because it ended with Tim Roth's character shot in the stomach, screaming, bleeding out on the floor like it did with Reservoir Dogs. I thought that was kind of a nice callback. <laughs> but because uh, this movie does feel a lot like Reservoir Dogs, it feels like a throwback to that. Where It's just a lot of just unsavory dudes stuck in one place. 
Reservoir Dogs is one of my favorite Tarantino movies, yeah. actually. So, like, there's a lot about the style I should love here. It's just, back then, he had a kind of restrained cool that here feels more like an abrasive cool. <laughs> I, I don't know. Th- this movie is definitely more in yeah. your face than that movie it's was. Funny, it's funny hearing him talk about uh, this movie and, and, you know... Critics, I guess, uh, he talked about how, like, uh, you know, when he made Jackie Brown, that was a movie that critics were like, oh, like, this is what he's going to do from now on. And Tarantino was like, yeah, like, fuck you. Like, I made this movie when I was 30, and it was like my Twilight Years movie. And now he's in his sort of Twilight, you know, he's older, but he's he went back to making even more extreme, like, movies that, that he did when he was younger. So it was kind of like he he mm-hmm. he flipped that on its head and was just like, well, I already made my Twilight Years movie. I'm going to go back to making the movies that, you know, I want to make, which are they see, you know, they just getting progressively <laughs> more Tarantino-y, I guess. And he he's definitely toying with the yeah. audience because, like, you mentioned Western. I feel like the tone of this movie, the first half is mystery where like yeah. Clue, it's like he's building up to a whodunit yeah. right and then without spoiling too much i think it's okay to say tonally like this does not end as a whodunit <laughs> um not with any sort of satisfaction of like oh i saw that coming <laughs> right um and i think th- that does kind of make people who are tracking it as a real movie the way that like inglorious bastards is maybe a more <laughs> traditional movie <laughs> right that kind of makes it be like what the what the hell what no, the like, hell just happened that 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 was my and, and and for the record i actually really really enjoyed the ending like the 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 last two pieces of the stuff that resolves the plot i really enjoyed and i thought that was like that was good it was written well the conversations the characters are having are really interesting and i had fun with it um but yeah, like my complaint was that like the film sort of sells it as this like a group of individuals all working toward towards their own ends and how those uh, ends compete with each other. And then what you get is very much a different story after the intermission. Um, well, it's funny because like and- most trailers for his movies don't sell the movie well at all. Like I always feel like they undersell it because it's they're the marketing people are trying to make it somewhat mainstream for people you know like it like any of the trail like the trailer for Django just like if you thought about it and didn't know it was Tarantino you'd be like that kind of looks not as cool as I I know it's going to be but 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 they do you they do sell you the basic premise and the film delivers on yeah that I guess so I mean, Django is is a freed slave going around yeah. killing slave owners. Like that's right. the basic premise, and that's what yeah. you get. <laughs> like that's what the film delivers Th- on. This one you wanted, like what Smoking Aces <laughs> was gonna be. <laughs> I, I I think that there there was potential for a a story more like that. And when like w- once all the like basically once all the cards are left on the table, I thought the whole thing was not as interesting as it was before all the cards were laid on the table it was, it was like if all the cards get played out and the winning hand is like a pair of twos <laughs> hmm yeah but you gotta admit that there's 
stuff in here that people will enjoy. No, no, that, like that. That's what I said. Like that, there are, there are, like as one cohesive bit, I don't enjoy it, and I don't think it's that good. There are moments, individual scenes, where like two characters will be sparring off against each other, like not literally, but like dialogically yeah, sparring. <laughs> yes, verbally sparring with each other. I prefer dialogically. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but like, as a whole, as one giant piece, it just doesn't deliver a lot for me that makes me excited. There are little pieces of brilliance, and I enjoy it for that. Um, and little, like, I, I really enjoy the... There, there are two moments in the film where the soundtrack, if you will, is actually in the room with the people. Like, the, mu- the music you're hearing is coming from characters in the room with the action that's taking place. And I thought those were, like, brilliant moments. Like, the, I thought that was really, really fun. Um, and I really enjoyed, like, little touches like that of just having fun with the filmmaking process uh, was pretty awesome. But I think it doesn't have enough of that to justify the non-story that I'm getting. Yeah, there's not really an argument to be made here. Like, some people are going to dig this movie and some people are not going to dig this movie. <laughs> yes, agreed. <laughs> well, I wonder, like, you know, I've I've wondered, like, what the, the general release version like how different, or as Tarantino calls it, the Showtime Extreme version, how how it plays, <laughs> um, you know, because it doesn't have the overture or the intermission, um, but it's like I think it's like ten minutes shorter or something. That in the Roadshow you get a little more movie. <laughs> Is that ten minutes? The opening shot where he pans from the crucifix <laughs> down to the stagecoach. Dude, that was the <laughs> well. You get his you get his narration too, which wouldn't make sense without the intermission. So like I kind of wonder like how that, that would plays. Be at least the the inner the the narration that happens right after the the start of the second half, I feel like wouldn't be there. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. kind of like how in Kill Bill Volume Two, there's that whole opening scene where she's driving in the car that was made just for that. Um, yeah, you'll have to let us know when you go see it in 35 millimeter. If, oh well, uh, the 35 millimeter version is is the roadshow version. Yeah, oh, okay, the, but gotcha, they're, they're gotcha. showing the general release version also um, in 35. But I, I don't know. Like, I just, I I do like the Roadshow version. Like, I like that whole idea of, of kind of bringing that back. Uh, just kind of like how Christopher Nolan is trying to bring back, you know, uh, like with trying to bring back at least a theatrical experience by using IMAX. Uh which is also 70 millimeter, but, um, you know, he's trying to just to, to, to give you a, to give you the most bang for your buck. So I, and, and 70 millimeter looks great. So, I mean, I, I'm all for that. I, I like the, I like the idea of, you know, the roadshow version. Although, like I said, I, I would totally watch it without the intermission. So I don't know. I kind of do like the intermission in a way. I think it gives it gives the filmmaker an opportunity to do something interesting yeah. with that break in time. Plus, it lets you get up, right. stretch your legs, and maybe tinkle yeah. if you're someone like me who has <laughs> See, to go about I, I feel like real fans, you should treat the intermission like a John Cage solo where you just sit there and watch the black screen <laughs> and you don't say anything. But I mean, like, the, uh, yeah, and, you know, it's also something where, you know, people can talk about what they've just seen and and stuff like that. I mean, that's what it was for, you know. I remember they showed they because like I like before like I 
I didn't even know, like, before Hateful Eight was even a thing, and before I didn't even really know what, you know, like, the whole roadshow idea was, um, but, like, because I went to see Spartacus at the New Beverly, and it was the roadshow version, I guess, I mean, that you could call it that, because it, I mean, that movie is long, and it has an intermission, um, but it had an overture at the beginning, and I, like, I didn't know what that was, I was just like, why the fuck is it just, like, the lights dimmed, and it's like a blank screen, they're just playing music for five minutes, <laughs> <laughs> didn't know where to get up like, or anything. Uh, okay. <laughs> and then, like, when Tarantino was explaining, like, the whole idea of, you know, the Roadshow release, I was like, oh, that's what that was. Like, I see. And I like how they, they had to have, a like, a title card that said Overture, because people would probably be like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> if there was just nothing <laughs> there. <laughs> no, I was still like that. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, sweet, no trailers. And then I was like, oh, are they just going to wait the duration of time that the trailers would have played? But, but yeah, well, it was nice that they didn't show any trailers, but uh, um, the, they didn't give, did they give you the, the, the little pamphlet thing before or after the movie? <laughs> they gave uh, it to before. us before. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause like I saw it at like nine in the morning. So I guess no one was awake and they gave it to <laughs> us after the movie ended. <laughs> I, like, here I, you go. I would have liked to have not received it before the movie because there was two things that I learned from that pamphlet just looking at photos that uh, came into play <laughs> during the course of the film. Oh, like a certain actor? A certain actor and a certain object. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I knew the certain actor was in the movie. I didn't know who he was playing, but... Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, no, I just, like, yeah, they they talked about the roadshow thing in the in that little pamphlet yeah which again was probably another reason to to fill people in be like don't be confused when this starts most most of it uh, we just spent before the movie looking at the photos in that pamphlet going yeah that looks like a composite shot i don't think that's a real photo from the set (laughs) oh whoa (laughs) (laughs) but anyways I do think it'd be a good double feature with The Revenant because they're both just snowy, brutal movies. <laughs> both long slogs. Yeah. <laughs> both long, brutal movies. <laughs> and they both they both involve at least one character having an injured leg and having to crawl around. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they they also utilize I mean the the different sides of technology. Well, like I mean, this has the seventy millimeter. Uh, to great effect and i think you know the revenant uses digital filmmaking to great effect because that movie looks amazing too yeah anyway (laughs) i'll I'll let you know when i see it (laughs) well someday well it doesn't have any story so we know chris didn't like it (laughs) yeah there's a story it's in the trailer right a guy has to like crawl through the snow for three hours to get revenge a guy gets raped by a bear There's a big story. A cinematographer was here, and then he went here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I haven't seen it yet. I don't know. Should we wrap this review up? Okay. Get get to our verdicts? Yes. Should we have an intermission first? Oh, yeah. We forgot the intermission. (laughs) Carson, I think uh, we know where your verdict's going to go to, but why don't you go ahead and give us uh, your official verdict? You're going to give this a must-see, a reckon with the caveat, a wait for rental, a pass with the caveat, or a must-avoid. What would you give it? Uh, fire, but actually fire. <laughs> uh, it's totally a must-see, obviously. I think uh, Tarantino is at the top of his craft in this film. So there's no denying that. Steven? 
I mean, it's either a must-see or a must-avoid, depending on who you are. I'm going to split the difference in a kind of positive side, because I feel like even if this is clearly a divisive movie, it also definitely is one that, like, stuck with me a lot more than other ones. And I think, like, the cast is great. Like, Tim Roth does a great Christoph Waltz impression. (laughs) Bruce Dern is doing his best turn as an old man heading to the Midwest in search of a hopeless mission since Nebraska. So everybody's just really doing their thing here. Um, I recommend with a caveat. Caveat being you might completely hate this movie. (laughs) You might be a Chris. (laughs) You might be a Chris if... Well, we know Chris's opinion is with that old lady that was in my show and going like, I have the right to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to give this film, I'm going to give this film a stew. I've oh. eaten a lot of stew in my day. And the one thing about stew is it always tastes like stew. And this tastes like Quentin Tarantino. And uh, that's either going to be a good thing or it's going to be a bad thing for you. Um, sometimes it's good to sit down with a big bowl of nice, warm, hot stew and eat it and feel good and warm in the inside. And sometimes, you know, you want something that's a more substantial meal that maybe has like individual component parts to it, you know, like an on, like a main entree and then like some side dishes and stuff. This film is just, you know, it's a big pot of Quentin Tarantino and it's either <laughs> going to work for you or it's not. And for me, I was maybe just not in the mood for stew, but I got stew. So it's stew for me. <laughs> that's a lot. I don't know how you're going to fit that in there. <laughs> You know, I, I was almost going to use the same analogy, too, and then I forgot. I'm glad, I'm glad because it fits so much better with your uh, your review. But, dude, dude how, how good did that stew look, though? It was making me so hungry in the movie. Dude, no joke. I, I, I thought it looked fantastic. Oh, I, looks, I actually do like stew. It looks so hearty. I, not even kidding. We Googled, like, L.A. best stew. Like, where can you buy stew in L.A.? Like, and it just, we just kept getting like, like Korean stew or something. I was like, no, I want like a hearty Southern stew. It was just a bunch of gigolos named stew. (laughs) (laughs) Why does he have, he always has some kind of food element in his, like in Django, there was the white cake. I was like, that looks so good too. (laughs) It's just cake. There was the the strudel and inglorious (laughs) bastards. (laughs) It's so good. There was the the burgers and Pulp Fiction. That's right. I kind of wanted the coffee in this movie, actually. Oh, there was just something about like a hot metal thing of coffee. I well, I, I, like, I wanted I like that like, idea. I wanted Mimi's coffee, not the coffee they start the movie with, where it tastes really bad and and you know we have to go. The hangman has to go remake it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, Minnie's. Yeah, Minnie's coffee. Well, the, you know, there's a lot of just uh randomly there's there's a lot of like really cool uh like like the coffee pot for instance there's just a lot of like memorable images the coffee pot like the jar of jelly beans and there's just a lot of things like that and the stew obviously um i don't know the other thing i was going to say was i expect there to be at least one couple next halloween to dress up as john ruth and daisy domergue handcuffed together <laughs> Is that one couple? Is half of that one couple sitting on the podcast right I don't now? Know, maybe guilty as charged. I told I I told my girlfriend though you should you should dress up as da- Daisy Donahue like at the end where she's just covered in blood yeah. and yeah <laughs> may have something attached to her. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. 
I said, I said, you either need, you either need to be that, or you need to get a bald cap and put it kind of on your head and be Tom Hardy from The Revenant because they have the same hair. <laughs> I'm gonna dress up as Major Warren. Do you think that's a problem? <laughs> I just don't put just don't post it on social media. Yeah, it could be a problem. <laughs> Anyways, I think uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Spoiler Warning Podcast. So, uh, Carson, why don't you tell people whatever you want to tell them so <laughs> they can't follow you on social networks. Uh, I, you can find me at Han Solo didn't have sex with Princess Leia in the StarWars.tumblr.com. I don't really know. <laughs> I hope that that is a real site and that you are the, the manager of that Tumblr profile. <laughs> I'm not, but maybe somebody is. <laughs> Steven? Uh, you can find me at In the Last Week. I watched 45 Years and Love and Mercy, but did not yet watch StarWars.tumblr.com. Oh, man. So you can get a little Dude, feel about my priorities. Love and Mercy um, was bad. You can uh, follow me at Twitter.com slash SDavidMiller or SDavidMiller.com. I better go check the letterbox review right now. <laughs> People could find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning or like us at facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com. You can use the contact form on our site, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 760-575-4TSW. That's 760-575-4879. And, uh, you know, as always, if you enjoy the show... Feel free to leave us a review on iTunes or just a, a starred rating because that'll help us potentially get more people to listen to us. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, it's possible that maybe we, we squeak out another review before the end of the year. But definitely next weekend we're going to be recording our recap of 2015. So I know that you'll be done listening to everybody else's recap of 2015. <laughs> And it'll be just free to listen to us to figure out what we thought of this year in film. Or last year in film. Yeah. Now. Oh, it's going to be good. I'm compiling a good list of films that I'm sure no one else has seen. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to at least a few arguments with probably both Chris and Carson. I, I would imagine so, because I feel Wait, like are most... arguments between Carson and I, or are you arguing against whatever we chose on our list? I think I will have arguments with both of you on specific movies. Gotcha. Just, we're just cock-teasing it up over here. Well, we know you won't be able to argue about Star Wars since you haven't seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He hasn't gotten his Kylo Ren fix yet. Also, everybody should watch uh, Show Me a Hero on HBO, because I binged it the other night, and it was really awesome. Uh, well, Oscar Isaac is not playing Pro Dameron, so I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that is one good pilot. <laughs> He doesn't have that bro Dameron hair. Can't get on board. Yes, thank the both of you for joining me on this fabulous review of The Hateful Eight. You're welcome, the both of us. <laughs> thank you for answering for me. <laughs> and uh, thank the rest of you for listening. We will see you in our next uh, review and or episode. <laughs> Bye. Bye.